Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? It's a shocking question. Will man rob God? We can tell because it receives a shocked response. Part of the shock here is the specific word that Jesus is using here. Jesus isn't saying, will man steal from God? There's another Hebrew word that means to steal, to take something that doesn't belong to you. For example, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. Okay. But this particular Hebrew word is a violent word. It means to plunder, to pillage, to loot, strong-arm robbery, like the Vikings in that old Capital One commercial, charging through the streets, stealing stuff. It's a violent word. And that's why it's shocking that God would say, you are doing that to me. That human beings could pillage, ransack, plunder God's property. Well, it's preposterous. So, of course, the response is, what are you talking about? How could we rob and plunder and pillage God? And God says, in your lack of generosity, in your lack of giving, and you're keeping your money and wealth to yourself, you've robbed from me. And what is interesting here is two things. First, the lack of generosity is more than simply a failure to be nice. The lack of generosity is a great and cosmic evil. Lack of generosity is a violent act against God. And second, that this lack of generosity is such a great and powerful evil that we're completely blind to it. What do you mean? How have we robbed you? How can God claim that this lack of generosity is such a violent crime against him? Well, first, there's an important biblical principle throughout Scripture that everything we have is a gift from God. And it's probably best and most clearly expressed in a prayer that is said at the opening of the temple. It's a few sentences, but I want to read it to you. I want you to think about it. David gets up, he announces that the temple is going to be built. I misspoke, not the opening of the temple, but the, 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 the setting aside the place for the temple. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. And then maybe David points to the pile of gold and silver which has been set aside. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. Our God, our Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your name comes from your hand and is all your own. For all things come from you and of your own have we given you? Who gave you all that you have? 
Well, the human response is to say, I've worked hard my whole life for what I have. But who gave you that life? That is the point that Jesus is getting at in our gospel reading today. The famous tribute to Caesar, which contrary to popular opinion, is not about the relationship between the church and the state. Jesus' focus here is not on the relationship between Christians and the government. Jesus' focus here is on your relationship to God. The Pharisees and the Herodians, two groups who don't ordinarily get along with each other, come to Jesus, they're trying to trick him. They ask, is it okay for us to pay our taxes? But now the question really isn't about paying taxes. It's about the coin that is used to pay the tax. Because the Roman coin, the denarius, in Jesus' day would have had an image of Tiberius Caesar on it, and the phrase Tiberius Caesar, son of God. A metal coin with an image of someone who says that they are divine, the son of God. Do you see how if you're really serious about stuff, you could say that coin was a little bitty miniature idol. It's a little graven image, right? The phrase from the Ten Commandments of someone who says they are divine, the son of God. So the question really isn't about paying the legality of paying taxes. The question is about is it okay for me to have that little miniature idol in my pocket just long enough to run down real fast to the IRS office and pay my taxes with it? Or is even that going to be possessing an idol, possessing a graven image of someone who claims to be God? Now it's a trick question because if Jesus says no, the government will be mad at him. You may have noticed the government gets mad at people who don't pay their taxes. If he says, yes, you have to pay your taxes, everybody else is going to be mad at him. Because you may have noticed, nobody likes to pay taxes. One way or the other, he's going to upset somebody. That is the trap and the plan here. But Jesus says, you're a big hypocrite. I bet you got one of those pennies in your pocket right now. And sure enough, he's got it. He's, he's shown that they're hypocrites. He's going to, with a, with, a, with a flip of the wrist, get rid of the issue. He's going to say, well, this has, whose image is this? Caesar's image. Well, it's got Caesar's image on. I guess you better give this to Caesar. And he turns to the crowd and he says, well, what's really important is to give to God what has God's image on it. And what has the image of God on it but ourselves? This is one of the first things we learn about ourselves from Scripture. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. That in our maleness and in our femaleness, in our humanity, we bear the image of God. And Jesus, with kind of like a flip of the wrist, says, whose image is this? He's got Caesar's image on? Well, you better run and go give that to Caesar. But what's really important, give to God what has God's image on it. Yourself. Who gave you that life? God. And he gave you a life that reflects something about God. Second, God doesn't give up his ownership of what he gives you. The Christian doctrine of stewardship is often misstated and misunderstood. We oftentimes think of stewardship as making good use of what I have. Looking at the stuff that belongs to me and putting it to good use. But instead, the Christian doctrine of stewardship is to make good use of what God's entrusted me to take care of for him. A steward is one who tends to the property of someone else. That property might be money, it might be time, it might be talents and abilities. Whatever that property is, God has given it to you. Who gave you your time? 
your life, your abilities, your talents. A steward is like a money manager. The money manager is responsible for investing money to take care of the property of others according to the values of the owner. That's what a steward is. Someone who cares for someone else's property according to the values of who owns the property. And when we realize that we are responsible for managing the property God has given us in accordance with his values, we don't have to go very far to find out what God's values are and where that property we've been entrusted with should be invested. We know that God's desire for the human beings is to live in a peaceful, harmonious community. And I'm convinced most problems in our church and our community and our country and the world would be solved if Christians generously poured themselves into God's values. Stewardship is more than just paying the bills at church. Now, somebody's got to pay the bills at church, okay? But stewardship is more than just that. And yes, I know Father Alex isn't here and I'm speaking about stewardship, but he didn't leave town because he didn't want to talk about stewardship. He's going to be back next week and I'm sure he's going to say something about keeping the lights on at church, okay? Somebody's got to pay the bills at church, but that's not what stewardship is about. But as I said, somebody's got to pay the bills. The Barner Research Group, that's a major social science foundation that studies religion in America, very well known among people who study religion in America. Well, even the Barner Group released a report just a couple of weeks ago. They found in their surveys that 65% of churches in America say they've had a significant drop in giving during this COVID season. Two-thirds, 65%. Two out of three. Not only that, but they say that 20%, one out of five churches in America, if they stay on the same trajectory, will have to close their doors in six months to a year that they're so far down in the hole that unless there is significant upswing that they're just going to have to close the doors, they won't be able to pay the bills. The good news is we're not in the 20% that's going to close their doors in six months. I'm not fear-mongering, okay? Okay. We're not in the 20%. I will tell you we're in the 65%. The last three months, I'm told, our giving has been below our budget. Somebody has to pay to keep the lights on. I just throw that out there because somebody has to do it, but there's much more than paying the bills at church. Stewardship is more than just keeping the lights on. Stewardship has a cosmic dimension to it. Stewardship means building the kingdom of God. And again, I'm convinced most problems in our church and our community and our country and even the world would be solved if Christians generously poured themselves into God's values. Secondly, we're blind to this evil. How have we robbed you? Greed sneaks up on you. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says to watch out for all forms of greed. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't tell us to watch out for any other kind of sins, but he tells us to watch out for greed. Why is that? Because greed sneaks up on you. He doesn't say, watch out for all forms of murder. Because when you go out to murder somebody, you kind of know what you're doing. Okay? He doesn't say, watch out for all forms of lying. Because when you're lying, you're deciding what you're going to do. He says, watch out for all forms of greed. Greed is easy to spot in others, isn't it? 
It's not so easy to spot in ourselves. As a priest in the church, I hear confessions every once in a while. I don't know about you, Father Larry, I've never heard anybody confess greed. Never had anybody say, you know, I I just really have a problem with greed. It doesn't dawn on us. But it's easy to spot in others. But it's not so easy to spot in ourselves. Now, how do we know how generous we are? Our Malachi reading gives us two measuring points, tithes and contributions. Now, the only place in the New Testament where the tithe is is mentioned, it's only mentioned once, is a very significant place. It's in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, and this is what he says. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter, justice and love of God, without leaving the former tenth undone. So you see, Jesus says, first of all, that it's right for the Pharisees to tithe, to give a tenth. But what he's really saying to the Pharisees is, you know, sometimes there's a need in the community. Sometimes there is a need out there that needs to be solved through generosity. Maybe giving money, maybe giving time, maybe giving talent, maybe giving ability. And if you knew about love of God and justice, you would meet that over and above what your requirement is. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you think you gave your 10%, so you're finished. The 90% is mine, and I get to do with it what I want to do. But Jesus says, fulfilling the requirement doesn't fulfill the requirements of God's love and God's justice. You don't have a spirit of generosity that would meet the needs of the community. I'll give you an example. If you know much about the restaurant business, if you've ever worked in a restaurant, especially if you've managed a restaurant and had to schedule people's time, um, there's one time of the week that is very difficult to get wait staff to volunteer for. It's a very difficult time, the most unpopular spot for wait staff. It's Sunday afternoon. You know why? Because that's when church people go to the restaurant. And there's two things about church people. Anybody who's worked in the restaurant business will tell you. Well, I shouldn't say that. You might, they might, might find someone who does. I'm telling you, S10 and 9 will tell you this, okay? Church people complain about everything, and church people stiff you on the tips. I said that over at Christ the King in St. Augustine. I was asked to come over and fill in, and a lady right over here said, is that true? Right in the middle of the service, said, is that true? And you could see a whole bunch of people who knew about the restaurant business doing this. If you go to a restaurant on a Sunday afternoon, why not tip a lot? They know your church people. You can't hide it. I'm serious. Church people have a bad reputation with one employment group in Gainesville. Fix it. The problem with this country and the world isn't that people don't give enough to church. It's that they aren't generous enough in their lives. They don't give in biblical proportion out of biblical joy. 
Malachi is a prophet. And there's something here which is pointing us to Jesus. And that is this command to bring our tithes and contributions into the temple, into the storeroom in the temple. We're commanded to bring our generosity to the temple. But we have no temple. The temple represents the presence of God. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle before it, and then the temple, that's where God is present in the Holy of Holies. But we have no temple. When Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, the first thing he does is go to the temple, which has long since been destroyed. And Jesus says, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise the real temple up in three days. And we're told in the next sentence that the, the, everybody laughed at him, but he was speaking about his body. Jesus Christ was saying, kill me. And in three days, not only this temple, but every temple in the world will be out of business because I'm going to raise the real temple. This might be the most stunning thing any human being has ever said. If you kill me, in three days I'll rise again, and then you will see the real presence of God. Jesus says, I am the presence of God. Every other religion has to build temples or set up elaborate legal and spiritual structures because every other religion says there's this huge gap between the divinity and humanity, between the divine and the human. And we need to do something to fill in that gap. But Jesus says, I fill that gap. Every single religious founder brings codes of conducts and moral principles and rituals and sacrificial systems and um, uh, temples and, and all this, and they say that if you do all these things, then you can fill that gap between God and humanity. But Jesus Christ among religious leaders is the only one that says, I lived the life you should have lived. I died the death you should have died. And in my destroyed and resurrected body, you find the gap between God and man being filled. What's that got to do with money? Well, Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's writing to the church about giving, being generous. And he writes to, the, to them, listen carefully, see that you excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want you to test the reality of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Do you see what Paul is saying? He puts no pressure on his own authority. In fact, he explicitly says, I'm not commanding you. He doesn't say, look, I'm an apostle and you're a Christian, so you better be sending me some money. He doesn't put pressure on his authority. He doesn't play on their emotions. He doesn't say, look at you, you're rich, and look at all the poor people in the world, and don't you feel bad about that? And look at these orphans over here with their great big eyes, and just don't they look like they really need some of your money? He doesn't play on their emotions. He says this, if you don't have the freedom to give your money away to help heal the world with your wealth, it's because you don't really understand what Jesus did for you. That's kind of hard to hear. If you don't feel a freedom of generosity, then you don't understand what Jesus did for you. Father, remind us today 
of what your son did for us. Remind us of the poverty that he endured so that we could be rich and teach us to be generous. Generous with our finances, with our time, with our talents, with our abilities, with our love. In Jesus' name, amen.